So let's talk about creative people for a little bit, leading creative people. One of my, one of my frustrating things in my life, I have many frustrating things in my life, but one of them is that there's a ton of great resources for leading people, leadership resources out there, John Maxwell, and just some great stuff out there, but not a lot for leading creative people. And as you know, because y'all are creative people, that's a little bit different breed. And um, trying to lump them in with everybody in the accounting department and dealing with the, the way you deal with the pastoral staff and other people doesn't necessarily work. And so I've been studying it for a long time. And I've been, of course, we've been doing film projects and TV things for a long time. And, and uh, I, I wanted to distill some of the principles I've learned over the years that might help give you some insight when you're leading creative teams and creative people. And, I, and I'll say this. I do think in the future... This is going to be a super in-demand thing. I mean, you could be a leader that really understands how to motivate and inspire creative people. You'll work for the rest of your life because there are just so few out there that know how to do it well. Um, and I think it's really, really important. So I thought I'd give you eight or ten suggestions and ideas. And hopefully we'll have some time for some questions. And, and, and feel free to interrupt me and yell at me and we'll talk about it. And you have a question or, or push back or whatever. Um, one of the things I think is really important. Let's, let's just start writing some of these things down. One of the things is creating stability. Now, I don't think you guys have a problem with this, but I'll throw it out there because I do think it's important. And that is most leaders think they can inspire creative people by just saying, hey, you know what? If we don't get this logo done in time, if, it's not, if it doesn't work, we're out of business. That does not inspire creative people. Creative people need stability on their job so they can really unleash their creativity out there. To, to change the world. And, but if you threaten them with, hey, you know what, you, this, this is the last shot. If you don't do this right, we're, we're going to be out of business or you're going to be out of a job. That doesn't work with creative people. I wish more pastors and executive pastors knew that. Creating a stability, and you don't have to lie to people, but even if your church or your ministry is struggling, even if you're, you know, really, even if you may go under, I don't share that with the creative team. I don't want them to worry about that because that's going to take away their psychic energy from working on the creative stuff. So don't, I don't lie, but I think it's important that we just understand threats don't work. Getting serious with creative people doesn't work. Creating an atmosphere of stability really takes the weight off and helps them do some remarkable things. Second thing I think is really important is, this kind of an extension from that is, try to make your creative team safe from excessive criticism. And I don't care if you work at a church or a ministry or whatever, there's going to be critics out there, people in church that don't like that logo design, people that don't like the video, people that don't like the website. Just be careful about trying to protect your team from excessive criticism because it's going to happen. And, and you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm not one of these people that think creatives, you know, we shouldn't have critical moments and we shouldn't have feedback and we shouldn't have criticism because I really think if you're going to be a professional creative, you need to learn to live with it. Early in my career, I really struggled with criticism. I didn't handle it well, and it dawned on me one time that, um, you know what, if I'm ever going to get to the next level in my career, I've got to be able to deal with this. And the higher level you go, the more criticism you're going to get. But excessive criticism doesn't help. It just doesn't help. So just be s sensitive about protecting your team and your people against excessive criticism. And the third thing, which I think is similar, is make sure all the leaders at the church are on the same page when it comes to your creative projects. One of the things that I've discovered, because I, I work with churches and ministries for a living, and so I have a lot of different clients that we work with. And one thing that happens to me more frequently than you'd think is a pastor will call me and we'll spend an hour or so on the phone or in a meeting and talking about his vision and what he wants to accomplish and where he wants to go. Well, the next day, I get a call from maybe the executive pastor who says, well, you know what, Phil, what pastor said is not exactly right. Let me tell you what we really need to do. 
Then the next day I'll get a call from the youth director saying, you know, Phil, what pastor and what the executive pastor said to you, that's not exactly what's wrong. Let me tell you what really, suddenly within three days, I've got three completely separate sets of instructions. And very often, if the leadership team is not on the same page, you're going to get that in the creative department. Some of you have probably experienced that already, where you get conflicting demands from different people. People are smiling. Say, they understand. They feel my pain. Um, so as much as you can, absolutely make sure the leadership team is on the same page. Now, it doesn't mean different leaders in the church or the ministry can't talk to your creative team, but they just need to echo one vision. Figure out that vision before you ever launch the project with the creative team. Because if they have conflicting ideas of what works and what doesn't work, it's just, gonna, it's just not going to go well at all. You have to, have to be unified when it comes to a vision. You just got to be unified. The fourth thing is be flexible. Be flexible. And, and what I'm, the principles I'm telling you today, you probably know them already, but these are worth writing down because you want to talk to your pastor about this. You want to talk to the executive pastor. You want to talk to other leaders about these things. And you have to be flexible. I, I worked for a... I did a project for a Christian TV station in Chicago years ago, and they, we hired a graphic designer who was really off the wall. I mean, he had a mohawk, he was tatted everywhere, he had more metal in his face than I've ever seen, and he was just, a, just weird in every sense of the word. And it was a fairly old station, older people that were working there, and he just literally freaked them out. I mean, people were threatening to quit. They couldn't work with this guy. And I knew he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So I talked the, the station manager into putting him in a different building. And this kid liked to work at night. So I said, great, let him work at night. Don't even let him come in during the day. Let him work at night. And he separated him from everybody else. And within probably four months, this kid had transformed everything about the station. The look, the style, the feel, the branding, fundraising changed, everything. It raised all boats simply because the station manager was willing to be flexible enough to work with him. So flexibility is important. It doesn't mean you let them get away with stuff. I'm really big, like I said this morning, deadlines are really sacrosanct to me. You don't break deadlines in my book. What two things, looking back at my career, two things I don't think I've ever missed was a deadline or a budget. I don't go over budget unless it's the client makes that decision. But I just don't, I just don't. So I don't think you need to give people freedom in that sense. You don't cut them slack from that direction. But be flexible. Let them find out what time of day they work best, where they work best. You want to work from home? I, you know, I'm kind of a believer in showing up at the office. I know we're going through that transition right now with people, and that's huge in Hollywood. I, my neighbor is the head of post-production for Sony Studios in, in uh, Culver City, and um, he's struggling to get people to come back two days a week. And you're, that's pretty common at Disney. It's pretty common in a lot of places. And I, I'm Tim Cook at Apple. I, I agree with him. He said that being in the office is important because that's where serendipity happens. You bump into somebody at the coffee machine, you kick around an idea, and you have an idea, you know, you're talking to this person over lunch. This, you know, that doesn't happen at home. It's very hard for that to happen when everybody's working separately from home. So I'm a big believer in that. But at the same time, let's give them some sense of flexibility if we need to. I think that's really, really important. Uh, five is get them the tools they need. I don't think you guys suffer from this because you work with big churches, but I'm telling you, I would much rather my creative people be coming up with amazing ideas than fixing their stupid computer or their video camera because it's an old thing that doesn't work or trying to update stuff. Just get them the tools they need. And I know we all have budget issues to deal with. We all respect budgets. But as much as we possibly can, there's nothing that turns on a creative person like having a great Mac 
or having a great camera or having a whatever. It's, that just really does make a big, big difference. I just think the less time and energy they spend overcoming technical issues, the more time they'll spend on creativity. Then number six, push them outside the comfort zone. Just because you want to be flexible, just because you want to protect them from excessive criticism, doesn't mean you can't push the heck out of them. I'm a real big believer in pushing my creative team. Um, and I'm not afraid to do it. In fact, it's funny that I've noticed that when we have to hit a really hard deadline with a television show and we pull an all-nighter, let me tell you, the team is psyched for a week after that because that energy level was so high. So I'm not afraid to push them. I, I find many leaders are just nervous about pushing the creative team too far and think they'll drive them off. I just think that if they respect you and trust you, those moments when you really dig in and really demand excellence, they can come up with that. And they'll do it well, and they'll enjoy that. Um, I think it's really, really important. And, and honestly, like I kind of said this morning, the dirty little secret in the creative world is really high-level creatives love deadlines. They love deadlines. I do not let deadlines go by. I just don't. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer that the minute you start letting deadlines slide, you're showing your boss, you're showing the client that you don't respect their timetable, you don't respect their wishes, uh, that your time is more valuable than theirs. It's just not worth it. I'll tell you, it's just not worth it. I, I try to deliver early if I possibly can because I think it's so important. And if that means you have to change your deadline to adjust for that a little bit, do it. Do it whatever, it, whatever it takes. And then number seven is get out of their way. Get out of their way. I find one of the single greatest problems with leading creative people are micromanagers or people that just want to be involved more than they should. Let me tell you, let pe creative people do their thing. I actually was talking to a guy yesterday who has launched three startup companies, very successful companies, and he's been asked to leave all three. He's brilliant at raising money. He's brilliant at motivating people and getting them to, you know, getting the thing going, and he's big at launching, but he's a micromanager. He can't, he, he gets, just gets in everybody's way and he drives people nuts. Three super successful companies that he's launched, all three he's been asked to leave. Once, once they get up and running. So micromanaging comes in a lot of ways. It doesn't just mean you're involved every day. It doesn't mean you're telling them all what to do, although it can. But micromanaging can be just being involved too much, driving people nuts, kicking, you know, tossing out ideas when you shouldn't, throwing things in the mix at bad times. Micromanaging is, is a demon that shows up in a lot of different ways. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. It's just not, not worth it. It's not worth it. I'm just so anti-micromanaging. You cannot believe it. Let, you know, nothing respects a creative person. No, nothing says I respect you more than letting you go do your thing. Letting you do, go do your thing. Now, like I say, they better show up. I, with my team, work from home if you want to. Work wherever you want to go. I don't really care. All, I'm, all that matters to me is what gets delivered. And it better be amazing. Better be amazing. So, um, Get out of their way. Now, number eight is something that I think is worth the whole price of the admission here. And that is, understand two things. Understand the difference between organizational structure and what I call communication structure. Now, in every church, every ministry, every organization, you have organizational structure. And that's who reports to who. You know, you've got to have organizational structure. I get that. There's got to be a boss. There's got to be, you know, direct reports. There's got to be people that report to different people. I understand that. But when it comes to communication, we need to throw that out the window. Something that drives me nuts at churches is when a graphic designer, for instance, is working on a new logo.
but he's got to go through seven layers of management to actually get it to the person who's going to actually sign off on it, which is usually the pastor or some other creative director or somebody that high, which means he's got to show it to his boss who's going to have input, and that's going to change. Then he's going to show it to his boss, and that's going to have input, and he's going to change. He's going to have that. So by the time it actually gets to the guy that you're designing for, it's a completely different logo. And that's true with videos. It's true with everything, websites, everything you do. I just believe that in every organization, no matter how low you are on the totem pole, when it comes to communication, you need to be able to communicate with anybody you need to to get a sign-off, to get approval, or to get the more background about the project. I know, I know churches that the creative team, the pastor has never met the creative team, and they've been there for years. That's hugely, that's a massive mistake. Communication structure really matters, and that means it needs to be free-flowing and the ability to go anywhere. And, it, and, and it, you've got to, that doesn't, the biggest challenge to that is insecure leaders. If the, the immediate boss is a little bit insecure and doesn't want that designer or that video editor showing stuff, you know, beyond him, he's going to pull him back or she's going to pull him back. So insecurity is horrible, horrible, horrible. It's, I, I've lived my whole professional life <laughs> fighting insecure leaders. Um, it's just, but do what you can in your, your church or your ministry to create a free-flowing system. And that means you may need to sit down and talk to the pastor, the executive pastor, other people, and say, look, let me tell you how we could accelerate things. I mean, why wait two months to go through all those layers of stuff when you can just go right to the pastor immediately or go to whoever and get the sign-off? I think that's incredibly, incredibly important. And kind of along with that is, number nine, walk the factory floor. This is a principle that John Maxwell talks about a lot, and that is, you need to get your pastor meeting people. You need to get your executive pastor, other leaders, you yourself as a leader. need to make sure you know everybody. There's a great book out there called Creativity Incorporated by Ed Catmull, who was the leader at, at Pixar. Anybody read that book? I'll tell you, if you want to manage creative people, that is the manual to read, Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull. And one of the things Ed did that I think is brilliant, at, you know, when Disney or he became the president of both Pixar and Disney Animation, and when they do a big blockbuster film like Toy, Toy Story, a lot of people get a piece of the action. You know, their, their whole team gets, gets a, a, you know, a bump and they get a bonus and all that kind of stuff. And that could be 160 people at Pixar or at Disney. And one of the things that Ed did that I think is brilliant is he could easily have that bonus just direct deposited into their account. He could easily have it printed out a check and send it to, to, to their office. But he will make us an appointment with every single one of those people, invite them to his office, or he'll go to their office if they can't, and he'll bring them a check. He prints out a check and physically hands it to them and takes a minute to thank them for the contribution they made. Let me tell you, that team will walk through fire for Ed. They will walk through fire for him. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And yet, we, we're the church. We don't do that very much. We don't do it very much. Like I say, I know pastors, executive pastors, leaders of churches that don't know half the team's name. We need to fix that. We need to fix that. Walk the factory floor. Take time to get out there and make sure you know everybody. No, you know, it's funny. I, I, I went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A little history. And um, I, I produced television programs for a number of years for Oral back in his heyday when he was doing big primetime TV specials on, on big networks. And I learned early on, I was pretty young. I was in my 20s. And I learned early, early on that I can't get to Oral very often, but I can get to a secretary. Ruth. And so I started becoming best friends with Ruth. 
And I'll tell you, I, I'd send her flowers on her birthday. I'd drop by the office and just chat her up every once in a while. And let me tell you, anything I ever needed, I didn't have to go to Oral. I just went to Ruth. And she'd sign it. Man, she'd sign Oral's name on it and say, Phil needs a corner office. <laughs> Phil needs this. Or Phil needs this expense to take care of this trip or whatever. She took care of it. Just getting to know people makes a big difference. I like uh, Norman Vincent Peale's in, How to Influence, what is it? How to Influence, how to... What is it? Dale, Dale Carnegie, that's Dale it. Dale Carnegie, what is his book? Win friends. friends and Influence People. He was huge on that. With him, people skills, and I agree, people skills are more important than the skills it takes to do your job. I know people that are brilliant, brilliant creative people, but they have no people skills, and they're never going to advance very far. We, I was partners in a TV commercial company. Like I said this morning, I did a couple Super Bowl commercials. We did super high-end uh, TV commercials. And we had directors that were absolute raving geniuses behind the camera. They were amazing. But I could not let them loose with the client without me or one of my partners being there. They had no communication skills. They could not talk. They had no people skills. They were just, they, we would have lost the account had I let them go to a meeting without one of us being there. I don't understand it, but they were brilliant behind the camera, and that's why the client wanted them. The agency wanted them. But... They had no people skills. And, and I realized pretty on, they may be gifted, but they're only going to go so far, so far, because not everybody's going to put up with that. And last thing I would say is give them credit. Give your creative team credit. I'm telling you. And th this, is, this is even a thing with me. I struggle with this. Because you, you're representing them. You're the one that commissioned the project, or you're the guy the boss came to to launch this project. And when it's super successful, you're obviously going to want to take credit. And very often, you'll be in meetings with a pastor or somebody who there's nobody else there, and he's going to tell you, hey, you did a really great job on that, that, that creative project, that video or that website. And nobody's in the room, and it would be really easy to say, thank you, and walk out. But you know what? I've learned that if I'll just step aside and say, hey, it's really the team that put it together, Bob or Susan or Jane or whatever, I give them credit, and let me tell you, it makes a huge difference. It's like the Ed Catmull story. They'll walk through fire if you give them credit. Let them take that credit. It makes such a huge difference. Maybe it's because the older I get, I don't, I don't need the credit, or it's not, it doesn't mean as much to me as it might have been in my 20s or 30s, but I, I wish if I could go back, I would change that because I just think that's so incredibly important. Incredibly important. Let other people take the credit, and you'll, you'll be amazing. Any questions any of those things? Yes. Hit me. Um, Uh-oh, here we go. I have a couple, actually. Um, so, speaking in, in regards to the organization, um, so in, in my experience, I've found that there's two types of power when you, when you lead employees or creative. Right. The first is institutional power, which is the organization has a set of rules and standards. Right, and you're the boss. The expectations, you know, they have, you know, you're benefited two weeks off of sick leave, you got, or you know, whatever it is. You right. know, there's a bunch of rules that a person has to follow. Yeah. And and then there's the personal, like as the boss, in my interactions one on one, I, I have a set of expectations and desires to see from from creatives. How uh, I have found that a lot of times the the institutional power is antiquated. Right. It it just feels old, and especially as our, our, a lot of our churches are going to have to to, to hire entry level people, right? Which means millennials a lot of times who just don't understand the institutional power at play. Yeah. Because they they, they, just, they just think it's also old. It's like, right. it's like grandpa's telling me what to do. Yeah. How how do you 
How you navigate that? How can we encourage creatives to, to toe the line of the institutional power without creating issues and problems, um, but also giving them space to be creative in, in that personal power area? Why? No, I'm teasing. Um, that's a good. It's a good point. There's a couple. There's a couple points off of that that I think are worth 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 responding to. Um, first of all, we've got into those situations in most organizations where you have institutional rules because something stupid happened. I, I can't tell you how many times I've worked with clients, big churches or ministry organizations, that had really stupid rules in place. And in most cases, it because something stupid happened a long time ago, and they said, oh, we can't ever let this happen again. And so they put in a really dumb rule. And the need for that rule has gone away years ago. Um, year, I, I worked with a church a few years ago. pastor called me in, wanted me to revamp his television program. He hated his media team, hated them, wouldn't be in the room with them. He wanted them to set up the camera, walk out of the room, I'll walk in and do my message, and then you come in and get the camera. I mean, and, and it took me a long time to figure out. It was because years before they had done something that so embarrassed him and so humiliated him in front of some peers that he just said, I don't want to work with these guys. It took me three years to repair that relationship. But it happened because of some stupid thing that the person that, that was responsible for it wasn't even there anymore. And yet... The pastor still felt this way, and the rules were still in place for that. And so that does happen. And so very often it's helpful to go back and find out what caused that rule to begin with. What, what made that happen? What, and, and once you expose it, most of the time the, 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 the management team will agree that, okay, it's time that we updated that. We've got to get rid of that. Another thing to think about along that line is what I call institutional thinking. What you'll find with a lot of leaders is that they were wildly creative when they started. When they were young, in their 20s, they, they wanted to be amazing. So they do. They, they do some incredible stuff. They get, they get put in charge of the department or they get put in charge of something. And they start to realize, boy, I'm sure getting a lot of pushback on some of these ideas. Maybe if I just went with the flow a little bit, maybe I wouldn't get so much criticism or, you know, it's just an uphill battle all the time. Maybe I don't need that. They start getting a family. They start getting kids. Then they go to the next level and they start thinking, you know, if I just do what the pastor tells me to do and keep my head down, I can really do pretty well in this. And you'll find more organizations than you can imagine that are led by people who at one time were really, really creative. But after a while, the burden, the fight, the pushback, it just gets so old and so tiring that they just give it up. It's sad. It's incredibly sad, but it happens. So there's a lot of reasons for institutional rules, institutional thinking, and stuff like that. One of the things that I think is important is, at some point, you've got to expose this stuff. At some point, you've got to expose it. Um, it happened to me a number of times, and it might, you know, you, you could get fired. I'm going to tell you, I'm the first to tell you, being creative means being risky. Yeah, it's going to be risky, because if you're going to be honest, you've just got to. I got fired at 36 years old, my... my um, Boss didn't think, didn't like the way I thought, and um, I got fired, and um, I was living in the Midwest, and uh, I went home, told my wife, we had two little kids, um, we sat on the end of the bed, we cried a little bit, and we realized, okay, it's time to go to L.A., and I, and I knew God had been calling me to L.A. for a long time, and, and I just, I'm the chief rationalizer, I said, you know, we got a great church here, our kids are in good schools, our friends are here, maybe I can commute, maybe I can just go back and forth. I did a movie trailer for a Disney, big Disney film. And I did seven round trips from the Midwest to LA in two weeks. 
And I realized commuting sucks. This is not going to work. I've got to come up with a better plan. And guess what? Shortly after that, I got fired. And, I, and looking back, it was God that fired me. I just kept saying no, 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 and trying to come up with an alternative. And I think God fired me. Because when I went to L.A., it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Best thing that ever happened. So sometimes it's risky. And, 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 I, and I got fired because I stood up for an idea that the boss didn't like. So sometimes you have to expose these kind of things. The other part of this is many of you are in situations where you're leading from the middle or you need to lead from the middle. That happens very often. One of the things I've experienced in my career is most churches in particular, and I don't know why, but they really don't trust creative people being in charge of anything. You know, during my career, uh, when I was working for an organization full-time, they never put me in charge of anything. I think they were always really nervous about what could, ha what could happen if Phil gets in charge. And they would put a moron in charge. They would put a guy who wasn't qualified, he had no experience in TV, and yet they put him in charge, and, and all the department came to me for advice. They would come to me for decisions. They would come to me. So I realized pretty early on, okay, if I'm going to do this, I've got to lead from the middle. I've got to be that guy. I'm not going to be the boss, but I've got to lead from the middle. So there's a lot of, there, there's some interesting things you have to think about in that light. One of them is you don't go public with everything. You know, sometimes I did stuff the boss never knew about, but I would meet with people individually. It wasn't a conspiracy. I wasn't trying to undermine anything, but I knew they needed leadership, and I knew they needed inspiration and ideas. So I would, I would take the time to meet with them and nurture them and help them grow. And the boss, he didn't care. He was off doing something else. And in the SBC, I'm gonna, I don't know, I don't want to make anybody mad, but the SBC is kind of like this because in work we've done in years past with like IMB, I know you've got to be an ordained pastor to run these, these things in the denomination. You may not have any experience in this, but you've got to be an ordained pastor. I'm dealing with a Salvation Army as a client of ours right now, and the same way, you've got to be what they call a Salvation Army officer, which is an ordained pastor, to lead anything. Even though you don't know anything about what you're doing, you've got to, that, that's their rule. And so the world is going to slowly change, but very often we're caught in a situation where as creative people we have to lead from the middle. And I would encourage you, you know, don't, don't, you know, that's just the way the world works. Don't be frustrated. Don't be upset about it. But learn to negotiate with people. Learn to get along with people. You know, and, and you can manage up. It's not that hard to manage up. I would always have a great face to the boss. He was my, my buddy. But uh, it, you know, it, it uh, I actually went to him um, one time. We had a huge, we did have a blowout situation. And, um, we just came up with agreement that I'm going to do my thing and he'll stay out of it and I'll make him look like a million bucks. Our agreement was, look, I will make you look like a million dollars, but just leave me the heck alone. And that was our agreement. It lasted for two years. It worked out well. <laughs> so it's, it's a negotiated thing and it's very difficult. And you're right. Younger people don't get that. And particularly two years of a, a pandemic, they don't even get office rules anymore. What we're finding in, in Hollywood is people are coming to the office, they don't even get how to act in an office. And so we're undergoing this huge fundamental shift in, in American business uh, and church and ministry work where people don't get it. So I think right now, I would do, the thing I would do more than anything is really hone your people skills. It, learn to inspire people. Learn to motivate people. Because that, and, and the truth is, when you start leading creative people, I don't sit in the edit room anymore. I don't, you know, I'll still direct projects from time to time, but I'm usually writing them and producing them. And once I farm that stuff out to really good people that I've trained and I've inspired and I've motivated, I don't have to do that stuff anymore. So this is a different skill set. 
And it's more important how I deal with those people and get the best out of them than it is how I edit the show or how I direct an actor uh, or how I cut a music track or something. So your skill set needs to change, and, and I would encourage you to think about that and be adjusting as you go. I'm not sure how much that answered, but it's a big issue. I, I get it. I totally get it. Any other pushback, arguments, anger, bitterness? Wow, y'all are a pretty complacent bunch. You talked about not meeting deadlines. And yeah. I know how you can respond to that as a leader, but what about responding to quality? When the designer comes back to you, or creative comes back to you with quality you don't like, how, how would you respond? They've met their deadlines, they've checked off all the boxes for you. And it stinks. But it stinks. Like, yeah. Well, first of all, that doesn't happen because I'm checking in along the way. It's not micromanaging to just see how things are going. It's not micromanaging to walk in and say, hey, how, how are you doing with the logo? They usually want to show it to you. They want to say, okay, here's a rough cut of the video, or here's a, here's a rough design, here's my sketch, what do you think? So I can usually check along the way to see things are going. So I can head that off at the past in most, in most cases. And, um, but so I, I don't worry about that too much. I will say though, quality is, I don't compromise there. I really don't compromise there. And I'll tell you this, the biggest way to become extinct is to stop worrying about, I, I, let me say this, about quality, stop worrying about quality and style. About, I'm a big believer in reinventing yourself. About every five years, I have a major reinvention. I remember about 10 years ago, I woke up and looked around and started realizing the videos I was producing and the documentary stuff I was doing, the commercials, promos, things, they just weren't as good as what I'm seeing out there. They were not as good as some of the stuff I'm seeing. And I realized that a number of years before, I'd won a bunch of awards. And I've learned over the years that when you get some acclaim, you get some attention, you get stuck in that rut of the way you did things at that time. And I was kind of stuck in that rut. And so it forced me to challenge myself and I started hiring other pe different people. I started getting, getting advice from different people, younger people, people from a different perspective. And let me tell you, it shook totally shook things up, but our business exploded. I mean, we just really went up and we started doing things differently. And a lot of that is due to a director of photography. I started working more with Brad Null, who's probably my oldest, one of my oldest friends. And he is brilliant. He's shooting, when he's not working with me, he's shooting for Red Bull. He's shooting for all these companies around the world. And um, he's just brilliant. And he forces me to make sure what I'm shooting is as contemporary as anything anybody's doing. So. I think that's, that's an, a really important issue. So I don't, I just, and, and the other thing too is to become a great creative leader, it starts with you. It starts with you. If you do amazing work, it will inspire them to want to do amazing work. If you do not so great work, that's going to be hard to motivate them. So it all starts with you. You need to set the bar really, really high. And if you can do that, that gives them something to, to, to look at and, and go for. And that's really important. Really important. Everybody wants to work for somebody they admire, they believe in, they know has been there through the battles. And if you can do that, then it makes a big, big difference. So quality starts with you. If, you're, if you do stuff that's amazing, they'll get it. They'll get that after a while. The reinvention thing, by the way, is a really big deal. I would encourage you, every three to five years, look at your work. Sit around and think about what I could do better. You know, has the styles changed out there? I, I, it's amazing the number of video producers that send me their work and it's so insanely dated. 
It's just dated. It looked like something somebody did in 1989. Um, let me tell you, the world has changed, and it's changing faster than ever. And we, I mean, look at what people are doing on Vimeo. Look at what people are doing in other places. And don't just compete against church stuff. Compete against Hollywood. Compete, compete against Madison Avenue. Look, watch, study commercials. Uh, makes a big, big difference. And see what's working out there because that will cause you to really be, that will force you to be the best you could possibly be. And that makes a huge difference. Huge difference. Um, yeah, I think that's important. Last thoughts, last questions? Any frustrations anybody's going through? That what you care to admit? <laughs> you uh, rang in creative people from being like sometimes there's a project where they want to be very creative. That's just not what's called for without demoralizing them. Sometimes yeah. creative people they can't be that creative. They just they're not having fun. physical beatings. <laughs> um, I did work for a church one time that had an amazing creative team, and the problem was they weren't being creative for a purpose. They were being creative to be creative. And their spots were amazing. Their videos were off the chart. But guess what? It never got a response. They never got a response for anything they did. Because people enjoyed watching them. But as a result, there was no call to action. There was no reason for people to respond. And um, we had a real come to Jesus meeting about this. And, um, and it's a matter of me showing them, look, what you do is great. I love it. But if it doesn't get a response, why are we here? You know, why are, you, why are we paying you a salary? It needs to, people need to respond to these things. And so sometimes it's that, sometimes it's that. And, and creatives need to understand creativity needs to be in the service of a greater cause. We're not here just to be wildly creative. That's not the point. The point is how do we, be, how do we creatively share the message of the gospel or the church or whatever message you're trying to share? If it's Madison Avenue, how do you sell taco sauce? How do you, how do, you do it? I mean, I've, I've, I've sold Snapple iced tea. I've done commercials for Snicker bars that are pretty funny, I might add. Um, but it's all in the service of a greater cause. And it's really, it was interesting for me when I was partners in a, a commercial, a really high-end commercial company. It really taught me the value that these are amazing creative people. But they're doing it for taco sauce or they're doing it for a candy bar. But they understand that. They understand that, and they pour this amazing level of creativity into doing some really remarkable things. And so I think a big part of it is the, the thing that I push with my team is not the creativity so much. It's the cause. It's the purpose. It's the why. And very often once they see that, then they can start focusing that wild creativity on trying to make that happen. I, I think that's really important. And that's why we need leaders. That's why we need you. Because a creative sitting alone in a cubicle may come up with great stuff, but they're not going to mesh with everything else in the church. Here's one thing I find that church, with churches that drive me nuts, and that is very often I'll, I've seen churches that, you know, the pastor gets up in the pulpit on Sunday, preaches a message. Well, the next day on social media, they're sharing another different message. The video guys sharing a different message. Uh, the social media team or the, the email blast or whatever, they're sharing a different message. It's like going into battle, aiming all your guns in different directions makes no difference, makes no impact whatsoever. Churches that really blow a hole in the culture are churches that have aimed all their guns in one direction. Pastor gets up and preaches a message, social media reflects that message, video reflects that message, all the email blasts reflect that message. And it's not that you're just repeating things and saying the same thing, but every advertiser knows that unity, when you unify that brand, you unify that message, 
oh my gosh, it makes a bigger deal than ever. Because it's really about repetition. Um, Seth Godin says repetition builds trust. So you're inside, keep in mind, this is important, you're inside the organization. So you've heard that pastor's message so much you want to kill yourself. You've heard it over and over again. You've seen it on social media, you've seen it on the web, you're sick of it. But I can tell you that about the time you're sick of it, it's just starting to sink in to people outside. So don't let the fact that you've heard it over and over again say it's time, we need to switch campaigns. No, 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 no. You need to stay with it a lot longer than you think because that's the way advertising, that's the way human nature works and the way advertising works. Keep in mind, people don't see your stuff nearly as often as you think. You know, you see it all the time. You're in there every day. Most people have other things to do. Even with my, my clients who do weekly television programs, my experience is that most people will see that weekly show maybe once or twice a month at the most. That's one of the reasons I'm a big advocate of reruns, because you're really not rerunning it. You're running it for the first time for 60, 70% of the audience. So repetition really is a good thing. And besides, I don't tell pastors this, but nobody remembers what he preached six months ago, yeah. nine months ago. Nobody's going to remember that. So, you know, your audience out there, whether it's social media, video, live streaming, whatever, your audience is a stream, not a pond. It's always changing. And so you need to, under, you know, don't, don't worry about doing the same thing over and over again because you're reaching different people every time that stream flows. Even with social media, it's always, it's, not everybody's watching all the time. You know this, but we don't act on it very often. And I think that's really, really important. Uh, can I, I want to flip this question Please. a little bit on, the head, on its head. Is the, and some of this is tied, again, back to institutional power and control that... I think we need to have a little counseling we, session. The funny thing is, it's like, it's great. Yeah. No, it's good. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, it's totally cool. It's, it's, the, my, it's really cool. Um, but so I've, I've hired creatives uh, or creative on our team yeah. who, um, it, when recruiting them, I mean, you're trying to sell the organization as best you can. And, and, and to want, I mean, we're all, I mean, many of us are struggling to hire people. So, right. And so you get that person on the team, and they're 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 wildly creative, and they're having to do road type, right? You know, like hey, I, I, you gotta you gotta promote Grandma Sewing Club, because right? That's the nature of this organization. I'm, I'm and I'm not trying to devalue the no, ministry, yeah. but but the and that's not really one of our ministries at our church, by the way. But that's just an example. <laughs> yes, but I've already got the logo design in my head. I'm thinking <laughs> so about like, this. Whereas, yeah. In, in, the creative that I have yeah. wants to like, man, I, I'm, I want to message Jesus through the church into our city. Yeah. And I can't because I'm stuck and I can't, I can't fight. I don't know what to do to help one, help her, her and that, and those yeah. folks to say what you're doing matters and it's a slow ship and we're getting there. But, but also to help the organization to see that this is actually a, a bigger fish that we need to fry, which is, we want to reach Jesus, yeah. or we want to share Jesus through our to our city, yeah. through our church. Part of that is um, the growth of the creative person, because part of being creative is understanding to make a living at this. You have to do a lot of a lot of small stuff in order to be able to do the occasional big stuff. Um, I mean, over my career, I've I've produced hot tub commercials, I've produced <laughs> infomercials. I result, and I hated every minute of it, but it was preparing me for what I knew God had called me to do. And so even now, even now, the bread and butter of what our team at Cook Media Group does is a lot of really small things for 
that, that I'm not terribly interested in, frankly, but we know that pays the bills in order for us to be able to go, you know, the, the month before the, the pandemic uh, shut everything down, we shot a, a feature documentary on the rise of Christianity in Asia, and we filmed in India, China, Mongolia, South Korea, Japan. Um, it was an amazing, it's one of these amazing experiences, but I was able to do that because of all the little things that we had done for years building up to that. So even now, it's every, every creative I know understands that there's a lot of stuff. I don't, you know, I've got to do the, the video for the redheaded knitters named Marge um, at our church. And um, I've got to do that, but, but that's going to open the door for me to do this thing that really, really matters. So part of it is, our, uh, as leaders, we need to educate them. We need to be teachers. We need to explain to them that, and, and trust me, I've worked with the biggest ad agencies in the world. I, I, I did a short film for Dinsu Advertising in Tokyo, largest ad agency in the world at the time. And guess what? They were doing a lot of little stupid stuff just like that. And so we all, everybody's got to do that. And you never get to a point where you don't. Um, my, my, probably my closest friend in L.A. is Ralph Winter. He produced X-Men, Wolverine, Planet of the Apes, Star Trek. I mean, he does $200 million movies for a living. And yet, in between, he'll do small stuff. He'll do small stuff. And, and he knows, you know, that's the way you pay the bills, and that's the way you survive in Hollywood, and that's the way you do favors. So it's just a part, of the, part of the process is knowing, as a creative, that that's the way it, the industry works. Um, I think also, too, though, the, the, the creating a creative culture, this is a big deal. And I think it's worth talking about that for just a minute. I'm just a big believer that, that culture is more important than vision. I've worked with leaders that had amazing vision, amazing vision, but their culture is so dark that when I would walk on the church campus, you could almost feel the oppression. There was backbiting, there was criticism, people talking about things. Let me tell you, I would rather work for a, 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 an organization with no vision but a great creative culture than I don't care how great the vision is if it's a bad culture. I just won't do it anymore. I've gotten to the point where I've fired clients because their culture won't change, and I just don't want to work in that environment. So probably your primary focus in your career from this point on as a leader is to how do we create that vibrant creative culture. Now, part of it is dealing with institutional rules and, and I know Baptist churches are going to be famous for that. I get that totally. Um, but at some point, you've got to figure out, okay, how do I nav either navigate the rules or expose the rules in a way that helps people understand it's time to move on. It's time to get rid of these things. It's an interesting time to be alive. I will give you that. It's an interesting time to be alive in the church. But I think it's really important. So let me, let me say this last little, let me give you a little story because this, this, this may help too. Um, and then we can wrap this thing up. Um, I, and I always think about this when I'm with guys like you, because a lot of stuff we do, we don't know if it's making an impact or not. You know, the redheaded knitters named Marge video. We don't know if that bi biker ministry website is working. We don't know if the church live stream is making much of an impact. We get some analytics, but we don't know what's happening out there. Um, years ago, I, I was filming a crusade in Africa, a big evangelistic event in Africa. And um, there was a guy at the time who was an elderly man at the time named Nicholas Bingu. Uh, Time magazine called him the Billy Graham of Africa because he'd led more Africans to Christ than any man in history at the time. That was an amazing thing. And he was an elderly man. And this is maybe 25, 30 years ago. And I thought, okay, well, I'm there. I'm going to interview this dude. I'm going to find him and sit him down and do a video interview. And so I, I did track him down, super humble guy, set him down, set up the camera. 
And I, I said, you know, tell me about this. You've led more Africans to Christ than any man, as in, an African himself, you've led more fellow Africans to Christ than any man in history. Tell me about that. Like I say, he was super humble. He said, let me tell you a different story. And he told me the story of this young missionary couple that years before had gone to Africa to be a missionary. They felt called. The denomination had sent them. They were super excited and pumped. But he said the problem was they just weren't very good at it. And he said they would, they would preach. Nobody would come. They, they didn't have a single convert. Nobody would accept Christ. I mean, they were just really terrible at it. And years would go by without a single convert. And they'd come back to the U.S. on furlough trying to raise money. Can you imagine how awkward that would be without having a single success story? But they were faithful, and they were committed, and they would go back to Africa. And he said they built a church nobody came to, just an empty building. Um, and he said, in fact, after a couple decades of doing this, the only person they even made any kind of connection with was a little kid who would help them carry their gear, and that was it. Nobody, no, not one convert. So finally, literally after spending most of their adult life in the mission field as complete failures, the denomination said, we made a mistake. we got to call these guys back. This is just really terrible. So they came back. And it was the old days where you traveled by boat. And uh, the, the, you know, the only person after most of their adult life in the mission field to see them off was this little kid helping them with their gear. That was it. And they came back, and they were so embarrassed. I mean, think about this. Not one convert. They were so humiliated, so ashamed, that it was only a couple years that they died. In complete failure. That's when Nicholas Bingu looked at me and said, but what they didn't know was I was that little kid. And he said, since that time, I've led more Africans to Christ than any man in history. He said, God didn't send them over to reach a thousand people or 500 people or a hundred people or 10 people. He sent them over to reach me. And since that time, I've led more Africans to Christ than any man in history. And I often think about that when I talk to guys like you, because we don't know what's going on out there. I have pastors that tell me, okay, now that the pandemic's over, I'm going to quit live streaming because I'm only getting a handful of people that watch anyway. Yeah, but what if one of those is that Nicholas Bingu guy? We just don't know. And so I just want to say, what you do matters. It's incredibly important. And I know it's insanely frustrating sometimes. But stop thinking about numbers and start thinking about faithfulness. Start thinking about creativity. Start thinking about how I can reach somebody in a way that nobody else is doing. I, I'm, I'm so, I don't want to say, I want to say this correctly, but I'm not a big, analytics I'm, only fascinate me to a limited amount. At some point, I want to know the life stories out there. I want to know the real change that's happening in people's lives, and it's hard to track. Even in the online world, it's really hard to track. So I just want to say, just say encouraging, you know, you never know who's out there. You never know who's watching. You never know who's listening. So what you do really, really does matter. And keep in mind, you're the secret. That pastor's message is getting beyond the four walls of the church. He can preach all he wants to, and I don't care how big the congregation is, but because you're adding into the mix, suddenly potentially millions of people have access to that message. And that really does matter. That's all I got to say. Thank you very much. Thank you.